Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. All right, let's cut to it, Jay. Hi, Jordan. I'm 28 years old. I have a great job and a serious boyfriend of six years. Things are overall going great, and I feel like I'm on the path to success. But... I feel like the clock is ticking and my window for quote-unquote big adventures is narrowing every year. I never lived abroad or backpacked in college as I was always driven by things like saving money and having internships. I'm hesitant to take time off now and travel because, number one, I'm in a job that I like, I'm successful at it, and don't want to jeopardize it. And number two, financially, I don't have the means to take several months off. I feel like I'll need to be saving up for things that I will want in the next few years like a house and children. All that said, I worry that I'll look back and have regrets if I don't take the opportunity while I don't have many strings attached. Should I be responsible and stay the course or say, what the hell, and travel for a few months or move somewhere totally different while I still can? Thanks. Torn between two paths. You sound remarkably cheerful for someone who is torn between two paths, Jason. (laughs) I'm not sure about your choice of character on this one, but uh, it's okay. Uh, eh, we get, we get a lot worse, I guess that's true. (laughs) This is a tough one though, man. You know, what do you think, Jason? For me, I did travel a lot when I was younger, so it's kind of easy for me to be like, well, you know, you don't need to do that. You're good. Cause I got, I already got all that out of my system. It seems a little hypocritical. Yeah. For you, you think it's a tough one for me. It's an easy one. Get off the couch. Go now because you're 28. Yeah, it's never going to get any easier. If you're no. 20, I remember when I was 27, 28 and I thought, "Man, I have so much going on right now." I LOL, man. I had jack squat going on then compared to what I have now. Now I got a mortgage, I'm married, you know, it's not that those things encumber you, but I could leave for 3 months before and the worst thing that would happen is I'd have to work remotely and some people would be mildly annoyed at that and I might have to cut off a budding relationship or something. I realize she's got a boyfriend Look, he might be thinking the same thing, but you can also do mini retirements, right? This is a concept, very millennial concept. That's a very Ferris concept. It is. You can wrap up one gig or you can, you know, sort of wrap up a project and take a sabbatical or ask for something. Look, you can travel later, but torn between two paths, you're right. It's easier now with less responsibility. And so far for me, there is a possibly nonlinear curve only going upward in terms of responsibility over time. And if I were you, I'd plan a sabbatical. And look, here's the thing. You might not need to travel for two years to get this out of your system. You might be able to travel for six weeks and get this out of your system. You might be able to go to Europe and go through and enjoy some stuff. You might be able to go to Asia for a couple of weeks. And then you might be like, yeah, I want to see some kangaroos. And you go to Australia and then you're like, all right, um, I'm, I'm ready. I'm good. You know, it doesn't mean you can never take a vacation or travel ever again. Extended travel I find is often overrated. I think it is often confused for this growth experience is often conflated with uh, essentially escapism. And I know this because I did a ton of travel when I was younger and it was career development in some areas, but it really was escapism in others. I remember always thinking it's going to be better when I move here. It's going to be better when I move there. And I found grants to do it. You know, maybe you can work abroad with your company. Working abroad with a company would actually be much more interesting than just backpacking. I know it sounds like more work, whereas backpacking sounds freeing and fun. That doesn't mean you can't take two weeks or three weeks or even travel on weekends while you're working with this company. You might be able to 
balance the work thing with the travel thing and have the best of both worlds. All right. Mind if I chime in on this one here? Chime in, man. Go for it. All right. Okay. So back to the 28-year-old thing. Yes, you're 28 now. I am now 45. That gap goes incredibly fast, especially if you're looking to buy a house like Jordan has done. You're going to have kids like Jordan is going to do. You're hooked. You're done. You're not going anywhere. So get it out of your system now. But I would like to point out what Jordan was saying. The length of the trip doesn't directly correlate with the value of the experience. I have backpacked for two months across Europe, and it was miserable. There were little spots of amazing events, but the length of the trip didn't really have anything to do with it. Because I was in Thailand for three days, and it felt like I was there for a month. I was in Hong Kong for two days, and it was one of the best trips I ever had. You can have amazing adventures in a very short amount of time. Don't think that you have to have this, you know like novel-esque experience where you're, you know, wind in the hair, hiking the the Camarillo Santiago or whatever the hell they call that thing. You can just go for a couple of days and have a great time and get it out of your system. I haven't I haven't been abroad I think since 2009 and I still think back on that and I'm just like, yeah, that was a great trip. I should do that again someday. And now I can, you know, I can yeah. go for 4 days. Anybody can do that. And it and I really think that what you're doing here is really kind of making excuses. So don't make excuses. Get her done. Yeah, I agree. I get why the excuses sound real, though. Because, when mm-hmm. again, when you're that age and you're right there, you're like, I have so much going on. I'm just telling you, now it's easier than it's ever going to be. So. Yeah, it's not going to get easier at all. All right, next question. Hello, Jordan and the Art of Charm crew. I'm 23 years old, and I find myself in a difficult position. I come from a conservative Muslim family, and for about the last year, I've been on a journey of self-discovery. I no longer believe that the world is as black and white as religion makes it look, and even though I agree with many aspects of the faith, I would not consider myself a Muslim per se. I believe that there is no right or wrong faith and that we are all just people. I've also increasingly become interested in different scientific topics, which I feel answer my questions better than religion does. The issue comes as to what I should do when my family pushes me to become more involved in the religion. I recently started seeing an amazing man with pretty strong opinions, and while I really feel like he might be the one I end up spending my life with, my family disapproves of our relationship because he isn't a Muslim. Uh. At the same time, I receive pressure from him when I can't be as flexible with my time because of an imposed curfew and other religious restrictions. He suggests that I tell my family how I feel, but I'm fearful of being cut off or disowned. I love my family, and we've always had a great relationship but I'm really not sure how they will respond. Should I not tell them anything at all and live as I want with hopes that they will see how happy I am and accept me as I am? From the times I've tried having this discussion with them in the past, they did not react well with an open mind. I would really appreciate any advice you would have to offer on this issue. Thanks again for all the work you do. Signed, Former Fatima. I love that one. I mean, I don't love the question. I feel bad for it. This is a tough one. Also, And I would love to hear what the AOC family has to say about this. I know we have some former religious, especially former Muslim women, especially are in a unique position for this. Look, you got to live your own life. Easy for me to say as a secular white man, right? But once you get a job, I feel like you can move out on your own. But here's the problem, right? I don't know where your parents stand on that. Are they not letting you do that? You have a curfew, but you're a grown woman. At some point, though, you have to lay down the law. You can't live for your parents, especially not living a lie that you live just to keep them happy. At at the end of the day, I think deep down they want you to be happy, I would hope. 
And, I don't, man, this is going back to some childhood stuff, but maybe one parent's more flexible than the other. Do you have siblings that understand your predicament here? Are there other people in the family that have left the faith? If so, reach out to them, see what they advise. Because this is very tough. But in the end, I would hope your parents want what's best for you and what's going to be, ha- well, at least what's going to make you happy. I'm sure they think being religious and getting married to a religious person is a uh, Muslim man is what's best for you. But you've got to manage this. But you cannot live a lie. You will be miserable. Because so, I'm going through some thoughts on this and it's like oh maybe he can convert and then you can both quietly leave the faith but I think that might be worse because then it's like he's got to go and I assume there's a whole rigmarole he's got to study this thing he doesn't care about lie to your family and then it's like then it looks even worse because he looks fickle because he left after converting and then that looks even worse than just sticking up for what he believes in originally so I think you're in for a mess here but I think it's worth it it's not just that she doesn't believe, right, Jason? It's he doesn't believe also. So it's not if you both fake it or if one fakes it, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, because I took her, her line about saying that he had strong opinions to mean that his strong opinions are, I really don't like the faith, you know? It seems like he might be an atheist or somebody of no faith, uh, the non-believers, as Obama would say. And it seems like that's where... She's maybe getting her like her scientific bent from him, and that's why the family doesn't like him very much. Right, but it also sounds like maybe she was down that road before because yeah, I don't know definitely. too many. I don't know too many guys who are like, so I was cruising around and I just met this <laughs> conservative Muslim girl and we started dating. It's like, wait, no, somebody there. There were cracks in the facade well before that happened. Yeah, otherwise that's one of the the stories for the ages of you know Romeo Juliet and uh, the Quran. Well, I won't lie. There there was a point in college where I was dating both a Muslim girl from Afghanistan and an Orthodox Jewish girl at the same time. That was high stress. And both of them had the same thing. It was like, don't let anyone see you co- me coming into your apartment. And I'm like, yeah, good idea, especially not the person that just left my apartment because that would get <laughs> awkward fast. Wow. But I, yeah, this is college. Look, I mean, you, I feel like I, I am hoping the statute of limitations on being kind of like a weird scumbag <laughs> has expired. OK, but that look, that stuff. Ha- and th- there's a lot of people questioning this stuff, man. There's a lot of people questioning this. There's a lot of people who want to leave this stuff. And parents are a strong influence as well. They should be. But in this case, at some point, you've got to you've got to break the bonds of that. I don't I just don't have a great answer for this. What it really comes down to for me is she needs to live her own life. You know, I grew up under the thumb of my family, not me, not wanting me to do what I did. And it wasn't even remotely in the scale of this. There was there was no religion involved in the things that I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be an artist. And they're like, no, you need to go to business school. Shut up. Go learn to go go learn to count. (laughs) And I'm just like, I want to take photographs. I want to make art. And they're like, no, you're never going to make a dollar at that. Turns out they were right. I never made a dollar at that. But the thing is, you have to just break away and become your own person at some point. And at 23, you got to start soon. It sounds like she's already doing it. She's just wondering whether or not and to what degree she has to balance her parents. And the answer is, in my opinion, is if they're going to constantly be trying to pull you in, you might have to rip off the Band-Aid. But I, I get her fear. She's worried about being disowned. She didn't say, I'm worried my parents will be annoyed. I'm worried my parents will be mad. She said disowned. That's yeah. Serious. Friggin' scary, you know? So it's almost like, oh, man, I I am very much open to outside opinion on this one, especially if you've done this. If you're a Muslim woman who used to be conservative and now you are 
either what do you call it reform or liberal or not or or secular shoot me a letter jordan at the art of i'll pass it along to her because that i just feel like my answer is just such a it's just one of those things that it's like you should do this and she's like yeah as if i hadn't thought of that buddy come on yeah might, might be a little outside our wheelhouse yeah might be but uh we're gonna use the aoc family to help you out there fatima all right next up dear jordan and the art of charm I'm 29 and moved to New York City a year ago, but I'm having a rough time with lonely weekends despite living in such a densely populated metropolis. I'm very comfortable doing things alone, but on Saturday nights I find myself at home listening to podcasts like The Art of Charm, wishing I was out there enjoying the company of real people. Hey, we're not real? Yeah. You're not real. Uh, I guess I That's true. One of us isn't, at least. Whom I could build close and meaningful bonds with. I've lived in a variety of different countries for my educational and professional experiences, so the few people I'm closest to are spread all over the world. What's worse, my current job is not conducive to making friends. I no longer drink alcohol or caffeine, and although I know that this shouldn't be any kind of major impediment, I do find it difficult to solidify friendships without participating in these kinds of social rituals. When you're sober and with a group of people drinking, you're simply in another world than they are, and it makes both parties uncomfortable. I put myself out there by signing up for all sorts of different recreational classes based around my interests, but the few times I've met someone that I actually connect with, they're often part of a tight-knit group of friends that are difficult to penetrate. It also feels weird to invite someone I don't know very well to something that I'm doing by myself. Am I going about this the right way? And should I just give it more time? I'm trying my best, but I'm not gaining any traction, and although I try to be mindful about being patient, I wish I could speed the process up somehow. Please let me know what tips you may have to cure my 21st century millennial loneliness. Sincerely, Sober and Lonely. Thank you and love the show. All right. Well, thanks for writing in, man. This is also not as t- This is another one that sounds tough when you're young and moved somewhere, but isn't that hard. I, I harp on this a lot. I'm going to say it again. Activities, activities, activities. Classes. Make a list of things you want to learn. Find classes. You're in New York. There are classes for literally everything that you can possibly imagine. Sign up for a few of them, three a week, two a week, whatever you have time for. Go to those classes, follow up with the people that are there, uh, offer to meet up outside, offer to go for a beer after, get some food after. Who cares if you look a little bit desperate? He can't go for a beer because he doesn't drink. Oh, whoops. Yeah, there's that. Fine. Go for a non-beer. I don't care. Go for a milkshake. Here's the thing. Who And that just really reinforces his point about that being a social ritual, but I'll get to that in a second. Who cares if you look a little bit desperate? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're like, oh, that's weird. This person invited me out. You can literally say making friends in the city is hard as hell. I'm trying to meet more people. Mind if I hit you up or your friend crew up this weekend? Where do you guys usually hang? It's totally fine. You're allowed to be new in New York, especially. You're allowed to be somebody who just moved. It's totally fine. They probably went through the same thing. There's a 80% chance you're talking to a fellow transplant who took a long time to make their own crew of friends or made their friends at work. It is your job to be proactive. You can later organize events. You can host holiday dinner uh, parties. This is a good one. You can host holiday dinner parties for what we call orphans, right? People who aren't leaving the city for Thanksgiving, for example. Whenever I've lived in other countries or other cities, there's always like, hey, we're going to have Christmas at my place if you're not going home, or you're going to have Thanksgiving here if you're not going home. I can't count how many of those uh, orphan Thanksgiving dinners I went to when I lived in San Francisco. They were amazing. There were so many of us, and all you got to do is ask, because if you don't ask, you don't know, and as soon as I started asking, I found like five or six of them. Yeah, and often it's like, 
Oh, I'm having Thanksgiving for orphans at my place. Oh, actually, my friend's having Thanksgiving for orphans, so I can't make it. Oh, shoot. Well, uh, do you mind if I go? You're the first person I've thought to invite. Hold on. Let me ask my friend. And now you're going to there, and then you have to worry about people not showing up or whatever, right? It's actually better to do it that way. That way you get introduced to a whole bunch of new people instead of people you just met. And then you can be outgoing and friendly by applying the things you've learned in the toolbox here. This is a numbers game to see who's friendly, who's open, who's going to follow up, and which, again, is your job. And you can also get a part-time gig at a bar or a venue or work a weekend job. You can volunteer for something. That also works really well. Sports leagues, which run... I think 24-7 in New York. I remember there being games of softball at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning in Manhattan. Um, Being sober and it being awkward, that is in your head, man. People who drink don't normally care if you don't drink. Really. I mean, I, I drink sometimes and I don't drink sometimes and I never care if people are drinking or not drinking around me. That part, I think that's on you. If you don't want to hang around drunk people, I get that. Then hang around folks who drink in moderation. That's fine. But don't pretend like you can't socialize because you don't drink. That's just an excuse. Best of luck to you, though. New York's a great place to make new friends and a great place to put these skills to the test. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., 
and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. All right, Jason, number four. Hey guys, I was recently listening to a Fan Mail Friday and you discussed how many books you read, but you were talking about audiobooks. I would consider that listening and not reading. I'd be interested to know the cognitive difference between listening and visual reading. I wonder if there are any studies out there about this. I'm an actress and I need to keep up on my reading skills, but I use listening to learn my lines. Sincerely, Genevieve. I'm so tempted to be like, oh, are you in movies? Oh, if not, I don't consider that acting. I consider that walking around on a stage. (laughs) Uh, But I don't think that's what she meant by... I consider that listening and not reading. You can consider it whatever you want. But yeah. <laughs> when people consume books in my universe, it's called reading. How's that? Cognitive differences depend on how you are wired. Um, brain science is all over the place about this and possibly still out. But for, re- for me, I'm just going to go with the pragmatic definitions here. For me, reading on paper is useless. It takes me 10 minutes plus every page. I, if I'm not in the mood to sit down and read, I have no idea what I've read half the time. If I'm tired, I can't focus. When I'm not tired, I can't focus. When I listen, I can converse fluently on the topic afterward, most of the time. Listening is slower than reading for most people. For me, it's the opposite. But you can't listen super fast unless you're very practiced, like Isaac Lidsky, who's blind, who was on the show earlier. He can listen at ungodly fast speeds. Yeah, I can he can do at, 5X. That's insane. Yeah, he can do 5X. Even apps don't even offer 5X. I can listen at 2X and still retain everything, and people go, oh, you're not retaining anything. Yeah. Meanwhile, these people read, you know, 720 words a minute or whatever, which is, you know, let's 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 debate that all day. If you find listening better, go for it. If you find reading paper better, go for it. The splitting hair stuff, uh, what's faster, what's considered reading, this is what keeps people from doing actually, what actually matters, which is learning. And it sounds like you're listening more, but you have some sense of guilt or shame about that not being as smart or as intelligent as actually reading on paper. And you probably get that from school. You might get that from your parents. And this is what kept me from reading regularly until my 30s, which frankly is a damn shame. Don't make that mistake. I hope that helps. Okay, so I've had this fight as far back as the 80s when I was listening to books on tape. And fortunately for us nowadays, the science is in. And there is no difference in listening to a book or reading a book. And thank God, because I'm dyslexic. It takes me forever to read anything. So, I, you know, I can, I can talk to you about a book that you read on paper that I listened to on audio, and we can have the exact same discussion about the exact same story. It's a, just a different vehicle to get information into your brain. That's how I look at it. The biggest fight out there is about people who, who like you pointed out, Jordan, say read over listened. I'm sorry, I read a book. That's, that's I'm standing by that. Yeah, well, here's the other thing. I hear the author's tone of voice if it's read by the author. 
you don't think I'm getting a better impression of what they meant than what you did when you speed read or you you know you looked up for a second and you didn't hear that part or see that part in the book. I, I think I actually get a better impression of what they're going to what they mean and what they're talking about. Half the time the book's read by the author. And sometimes authors go off script and they go, side note, blah, blah, blah. You don't get that in the written book unless you're reading all the footnotes. And even then, if it's a Gary Vee book, for example, you don't get 30% of the content. I have I have the perfect example of that because right now I am in the middle of reading the Eddie Izzard autobiography. And the book is it, it's it's a joke book for the most part because he has so many footnotes because he goes keep keeps going off script talking about the different things. In the audiobook, it's got to have 20% more content because he's like, "Oh, I wrote that" because he's dyslexic as well. So he dictated the book and this is the first time he's reading it when he's actually making the audiobook and he's adding to the footnotes as he's doing the audiobook. So I'm getting a much better experience because it's his story, it's his voice, and I get stories that he's never even told that weren't in the book. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I look, we're audiobook fans, everybody knows that. We're going to link to two articles here. Is listening to an audiobook cheating? Uh, and as far as your brain is concerned, audiobooks are not cheating. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and those links will be in the show notes for this episode as well. All right. Next up, we got a little note. MG was hoping for a transcript of the parable of the corn farmer. And yes, that is called go- uh, that is called Growing Good Corn. You can Google that, Growing Good Corn. And we'll also link to it in the show notes for this episode as well. All right. Next up. Hi, Jordan. I'm writing for advice on how to work with a coworker who acts like they have complete disdain for me. I've been at my job for almost a year, and one of my coworkers' behavior is starting to bother me. When I first started my job, he and I worked closely on a couple projects, and we made a great team. I even began sensing a level of friendship and attraction building. However, we got into a disagreement, and I overreacted, and now it's put a strain on our relationship. While he's outgoing with my other coworkers, he's noticeably cold towards me. It was making me insecure and affecting our teamwork, so I tried addressing the tension, but he denies there is any. We have to work on another long-term project soon, and I'm concerned. While I mainly want to be a high-performing team again, I'd be lying if I also didn't really want the friendship back as well. How can I get our ship back on the right path again? Sincerely, Lynn. Hmm, so... Here's what I want to know, right? What was the issue? Whenever people are like, oh, there's this issue, it's usually not, well, you know, he's really behind on his email. Uh, so I'm curious because it, it sounds like also he's reacting with ego, you know, oh, I, no, there's no tension. It's fine. I'm just going to be passive aggressive. So that to me kind of suggests maybe there's a little bit of sexual rejection there. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the issue was. Did he come on to you and you overreacted to that? Cause that would do it. Uh, but if, if that's not the case, then I think he's being immature. Actually, I think he's being immature anyway. Yeah. But, uh, you may not be able to repair this is the point, because it doesn't sound like he's open to it. It'd be different if he was like, you're just a jerk face, you know, and he's denying <laughs> there's even a problem. Was he going dip to dip her pigtails in the inkwell next? Right, I, I know. <laughs> I mean, he's probably doing it on purpose to make you feel bad. Oh, he's absolutely doing it on purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. I know this because I used to do that shit too, yep. you know, it, back in the day. It's a waste of your time. Look, he, he wants to feel respected. But he doesn't want an apology because he doesn't want you to feel bad for him because that makes that's probably why he denied it. You know, oh, I'm sorry. Did I offend you? No, I'm tough. You can't hurt me. And then goes home and cries. Right. That's kind of how I'm picturing this guy. He yeah. probably also if he's anything like me, he's doing it on purpose. And then he feels stupid for reacting that way. But he can't help himself. Right. He knows it's dumb and petty and he just can't help himself. So I would say, look, you can treat him well, treat him with respect, 
fluff his ego a little bit to a, a very small extent in front of others subtly and maybe he will eventually come back around or he won't and then you just can't worry about it anymore yeah and my side uh, you know i he's like just if it's if he's not going to take your apology and you can't work through it and what jordan you know if jordan's thing doesn't work as well then just just be cold back and do your job a healthy dose of ambivalence goes a long way because he's looking for a reaction from you so if you don't give him that reaction you're ambivalent, you do your job, and you talk to other people like you used to talk to him, then maybe he'll come back around. Or yeah, maybe, maybe he won't. Don't start there, though, because then you're just, you know, then it could be War of the Roses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, this, is, this is the second tier attack, yeah, attack vector. Yes, second tier. Because if he's punishing <laughs> you, like you, see, you mentioned this earlier, Jason, if he's just trying to punish you, you got to take the reaction away. Because mm-hmm. otherwise he's getting what he wants. You know, his temper tantrum is working. Mm-hmm. But if it gets really bad... You got to tell somebody. Yeah, if he's making you feel uncomfortable, then it's time for HR. Yep. Uh, that's a bummer. Guys, can't live with them, can't work with them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up. Hi, Jordan and team. I have a problem with my neutral resting face. I feel like my resting face always makes me look like I'm unhappy or even angry. I often have a clogged nose from hay fever, which means I often breathe through my mouth, which makes it look even worse. I feel this makes me seem less approachable or friendly when I'm trying to meet people, whether professionally or socially. The alternate is I can try to smile, but when I try to smile, I feel like I just look like a creep. Even worse is when I try to smile while looking at or approaching a woman I'd like to meet. This image pretty much describes it, and we'll have this image linked in the show notes, and I definitely chuckled when I saw the photo. Yeah, me too. Uh, I do try to practice the three-second rule. When you see someone you want to talk to, make a move to do so within three seconds or otherwise forget it. How can I make my resting face more approachable and or change my feeling about it? Thanks, David. So this is a suggestion that I think everyone should probably do at some point if they have anything like this. Improv. The weirdness that you feel slash that you have going when you try to smile is from having an agenda. That agenda is, I want her to see that I'm friendly or something like that. (laughs) That attraction agenda is going to sound creepy because creepy, the definition of it, it really kind of is having an agenda that you're sort of hiding. So everything you do non-verbally as a result of that is going to be kind of creepy in some way. Uh, The other thing is, look, man, get some allergy shots. Hay fever is not a death sentence. And I can just see, you know, I'm imagining David sitting there at work breathing through his mouth, you know, with his nose clogged and just... (laughs) Looking all kind of, you know, just get the allergy shots. I, I Look, I don't know if they work for everybody, so I don't want to be judgy, but come on. You know, this should be a manageable problem. If it's not, it's the least of your worries anyways. But yeah, acting, a little improv, get out of your shell a little bit. We do this stuff at boot camp, but I don't want the answer to your question to be come to boot camp because that sounds too salesy for my taste here at the moment. But uh, definitely check out the AOC challenge. We go over what we call, well, what people call smizing which is smiling with your eyes. It's a real authentic smile. It helps a lot because it's designed to help find your natural smile on command, so to speak. The AOC Challenge has that as one of the challenges. That's at theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or you can text AOC to 38470. That's AOC to 38470, or com slash challenge. Uh, I, my intent there was to be not salesy, and then I just dropped a URL and a text in, <laughs> so I give up, whatever. But that should help. Fail. There is a drill in there. Fail. There is a drill that we have for that because you're not the only one with that issue. All right. Hey, Jordan, if you had to be a lawyer again, what would you specialize in? Like, what's the cutting edge side of law? So I do get this question sometimes, and the answer is international finance, but I would I would not like the trading stuff. 
Not trading side. I would work with trusts and cryptocurrency. I think crypto is really cool, and it's going to be even bigger than it already is. It's been in the news a lot lately, but man, we are still in super, super, super early days. This is like internet 1992 or three right now. And I would figure out how to move rich people and my own money around and navigate the arcane and complex global financial landscape. And I would also probably start some companies that help liquidate uh, crypto and manage tax burdens for people who make a lot in crypto and and global because this is fully decentralized banking. It's decentralized currency. It's decentralized trading. It's 24 seven markets. There are so many changes here and there's hundreds of different cryptocurrencies and tokens that are built on the blockchain. They're going to build companies on the blockchain. If anybody knows a lot about this and is in law school right now, just forget whatever you were going to do and specialize in this type of law. You're basically going to be writing it, right? You need tax law, you need trust in estates, but the rest of it is going to be tech. This is going to be just a massive field. There's almost nobody that has a clue what it's even about, let alone being able to set up these structures. And people that I know who have problems with this have problems like, well, I made $150 million off of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and now I can't do anything with it, and I don't want to pay taxes, and it's sitting in the blockchain, and I just hope nobody puts a gun to my head and steals it or hacks my computer. So there's all kinds of things that people who have these, there's problems that they have, and they have tons of money, and you could accept cryptocurrency as payment for your services. And you would really, I mean, there's just so much money to be made here. So yeah, if I had to do law, I would do that in a second. And if anybody actually does that, I want to hear from you. I'm very curious what that looks like right now. Not crypto, but the crypto law. Eh, if you do crypto too, hit me up. I'm always open to learning more about this stuff. Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous just like cryptocurrency. And you can either make up your own funny name or we can do it. If it's feedback for the show, we're fans of strong opinions loosely held. We'd love to argue like we're right, listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy to hit us up over here. If you've got your own advice for some of the people you've heard from today, let me know, especially Fatima, former Fatima. That that one, I refuse a little, a little nudge, a little bit of know-how from our Muslim sisters here or uh, former Muslim sisters here. If it's something that can help everyone, I may read it on the show. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF121. And if you're listening to AOC in the Overcast player for iPhone, please click on that little star icon. It helps our listings and introduces new people to the show. Quick shout out to Mo, the Uber driver. I was just in Denver. This guy, yeah, Jason, I'm telling you, this guy, he is from Sudan, which is now South Sudan, where he's from. He's, he left when he was nine. He spent three years in a camp in Sudan, 12 years in a refugee camp in Kenya. And then he moved to the USA for 16 years where he lives in Denver. He works his butt off driving and doing a bunch of other stuff. I asked him if he ever went back to South Sudan for a visit. And he said, yeah, it took me five months to get there and back. And I stayed for two weeks. Wow. Because you have to fly so many places and you have to drive on no there's no roads in South Sudan literally they're just none there's one road that connects it to Ghana or something wow. and he said that you got to take these buses and the buses can only go something like 40 miles a day and you've got to sleep in the bus with all these people it takes weeks and weeks to go like 300 miles and you can't sleep outside or walk because there's lions and snakes and stuff it just sounds like the 
the worst thing ever. <laughs> I am I mean, never going to complain about my shuttle flight on American from O'Hare to Cleveland ever again. Right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> Mom, I don't want to come home for Christmas. It's snowing. Oh, let me just fly out to California. No, I just can't <laughs> believe it. And then when he got there, he had to find his family because they'd been torn apart by war for decades. It's insane. And he hadn't seen him since he was nine. It's like, what? I just couldn't believe it. This guy I needs a movie. He yeah, a movie. <laughs> he was un- it was unbelievable. This guy's story was crazy, and it, there's obviously hundreds of thousands of people with stories like that. But man, the moral of this story is talk to your Uber driver. Some of these people, you know, are just literally from, quite frankly, just another <laughs> another universe. world, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, universe, oh, unbelievable. Uh, I guess not literally in that case, though. Are you yeah. in a strange <laughs> land listening to my familiar voice? If so, hit me up. I'll shout you out more. More from us. At theartofcharm.com. I'd love to hear from you in any case on Twitter. It's a great way to engage with the show, and you're on Twitter too, huh, Jay? Yep, I'm on Twitter at JPDEF. That's JPDEF, and you can catch my podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. We're in iTunes or go to GOG.show. And like I said, Art of Charm Challenge, text AOC to 38470 in the States, or go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. It's about becoming a better thinker, a better networker, making better connections. It's for guys and gals, and it's free. So text AOC to 38470 or go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. And if you want info on our live residential boot camps, we run those every week. They're in L.A. If you want it, so, and there's people from all over the world, so I don't want to hear if you're from Arizona and it's too far. Cry me a river. That's some BS. If you want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. And we now accept cryptocurrency, speaking of... So you can pay in crypto if you made a bunch of dough off that and you're looking for liquidity. We will help you with that. Stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.